Hi, my name is Rifki. Welcome to This Week Unpacked. Before starting, a huge thank you to Jewish Colorado for sponsoring this week's episode. Okay, as we say in Yiddish, weiter, let's dive in. I wasn't alive during the Six-Day War, but I've heard this epic line so, so many times. And maybe you have too. Har biadenu, the Temple Mount is in our hands. The jubilation that the Jewish people felt after winning the old city of Jerusalem, and particularly this ancient holy space, was incomparable. However, due to many complicated factors that we'll get into in this episode, under the agreement that Israel and Jordan signed at the end of the war, Jews are allowed to enter the Temple Mount, albeit only during certain hours of the day, but they aren't allowed to pray there. In the last few weeks, two stories related to the Temple Mount caught our attention. First, there was a wild report by Israel's Channel 13 about a Jewish group called Returning to the Mount, whose members are disguising themselves as Muslims in order to pray there. And second, earlier this month, the UN overwhelmingly passed a resolution that called for, quote, upholding unchanged the historic status quo at the Haram al-Sharif holy site. Without even getting into the resolution itself, Israel was incredibly upset that the text referred to the site solely by its Muslim name. According to Gilad Erdan, Israel's ambassador to the UN, a resolution about Jerusalem that does not refer to its ancient Jewish roots is not an ignorant mistake, but an attempt to distort and rewrite history. The United States representative agreed, saying that a resolution concerning Jerusalem, which only references Haram al-Sharif and does not also include the Temple Mount, is morally, historically, and politically incorrect. With all this recent news about the Temple Mount, we wanted to unpack this site, holy to Jews, Christians, and Muslims, and the decades-long controversy over whether Jews should be allowed to pray there, or even simply visit. So first, let's unpack some key terms that you need to know. There are many names that you might have heard that are associated with that whole area. What does each refer to, and who calls it what? Let's start with the Jewish people. They call the area the Temple Mount, or Har Habayit, translated as the Mount of the House. Or you might have heard Beit HaMikdash, the Holy House, which is a reference to the temples that once stood in that exact spot. Now Muslims call it Haram al-Sharif, which is Arabic for the Noble Sanctuary. These terms refer to the entire 35-acre compound. But then within this area, there are a few important structures that you might have heard of. Number one, the Dome of the Rock, also known as the Golden Dome. This is the iconic Islamic shrine that is Jerusalem's most recognizable landmark. It was built back in the 7th century, but it was actually only covered in gold in 1962. The second is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. This is the smaller, lead-covered dome located south of the Dome of the Rock, and it's believed to have been completed in the 8th century. And the third is the Western Wall, also known as the Kotel. This is the relatively small portion of the stone wall that is the exterior of the entire Temple Mount, located on the western side. So why is the Temple Mount so, so important? Well, the entire mount is of deep religious significance to both Judaism and Islam, which is why it has been the focal point for conflict for decades, not to mention the centuries before modern Israel. For the Jewish people, the Temple Mount is the holiest place in the entire world. 
It was the site of the two holy temples that were destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BCE and again by the Romans in 70 CE. It is also the anticipated site of the third temple in the Messianic era. But it goes even further back than these temples. Jewish tradition holds that the very world originated here, with a foundation rock located beneath the temple. Hence the name Dome of the Rock, which is believed to have been built on top of the foundation rock. It's the place where Jews face to pray each and every day, and have done so since their exile from the land of Israel 2,000 years ago. Now you might be thinking, right, but the Western Wall, that's the most important part of the Temple Mount, right? Now that's a common misconception. Actually, the Western Wall is just part of the outer walls of the Second Temple. Yeah, it is important, but mostly because it's the closest the Jews were able to come to the actual holiest part, where the temple was for centuries. For Muslims, the most important piece of the Temple Mount is the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and it's considered the third holiest shrine in the world, after the holiest places of Mecca and Medina. According to Islamic tradition, Muhammad was miraculously transported from Mecca to the Al-Aqsa Mosque in one night before ascending to heaven. And according to both Judaism and Islam, the Temple Mount is where Abraham performed the binding of his son. According to the Quran, that son was Ishmael, and according to the Torah, it was Isaac. So now let's skip ahead. After Israel lost the Old City in the 1948 War of Independence, from 1948 to 1967, Jordan blocked their access to the Western Wall, and certainly to the Temple Mount as well. And then in 1947, when Israel captured the Temple Mount from Jordan in the Six-Day War, well, this is where things get really tricky. In 1967, as the war began, Israeli Prime Minister Levi Eshkol sent a message to King Hussein of Jordan, promising that if Jordan didn't enter the war with the other Arab nations, no Israeli action would be initiated against Jordan. However, that request was ignored, and later that day, the Jordanian offensive began with fronts all over the country. The fighting was fierce, but Israel was winning, and before long, the Israeli Defense Minister Moshe Dayan ordered the iconic Israeli paratroopers to take the Old City. As Colonel Matagor snaked his way through the alleyways, he declared on the radio that epic line, Harabaya Biadenu, the Temple Mount is in our hands. The holiest place in the world for all Jews, regardless of denomination, orientation, or ethnicity, was now under Jewish control for the first time in thousands of years. A few moments later, the Israeli flag was fastened to the top of the Dome of the Rock. But this excitement was immediately toned down when Dayan essentially said, are you crazy? You're gonna bring the entire Middle East into a war. Another war, that is. So the Israeli flag was removed, but something wilder happened next. And this is where we get back to the opening of the episode. In the aftermath of the war, as the Jewish people the world over are celebrating the reconnection of the Jews with their holiest sites, Israel struck a deal with the Jordanian Muslim Waqf, which had been in control of the site. In this deal, Jews could finally come back to visit the Temple Mount and the Western Wall, which they'd been barred from since Jordan took the Old City in 1948. But officially, though the Temple Mount continues to be under Israeli sovereignty and security, in an effort to bring down the hostility and minimize the conflict, Israel relinquished governance of the site to the Waqf, allowing them to decide who can pray there and who cannot. Since this moment, more than 50 years ago, Jews have not been allowed to pray at the Temple Mount, 
However, I do want to add, the status quo appears to be changing, as recently there have been reports of Israeli police informally turning a blind eye to Jewish prayer at the site. So that's the history of why Jews can't really pray at the Temple Mount, at least officially. But now, 50 years after the deal was struck, what do Israelis today think about it? Should the status quo be maintained, or should Jews have greater access to pray at the Temple Mount? Interestingly, many Orthodox Jews are comfortable with maintaining the status quo. They don't actually want to enter or pray at the Temple Mount. Because according to traditional Jewish law, in order to tread on the specific sacred space where the ancient temple stood, one must first reach a state of ritual purity that can only be attained through the ashes of a red heifer. Now, a red heifer hasn't been found in Israel in almost 2,000 years, so it's impossible to reach the necessary level of purity. So most members of the Orthodox community agree that they aren't even looking to pray in the area where the temple once stood. However, according to Eli Duker, Israeli tour guide, problems begin to arise because the precise location of where the temple stood is unknown. According to Duker, many think that the Holy of Holies, the innermost and most sacred area of the temple, is where the Dome of the Rock is. And if we work with that assumption, well, we can work backwards. We can kind of map out the area and know which places are fine and which are off limits. Duker argues that Jews today ought to be able to visit and pray at the places that are not off limits after immersing in a mikvah, ritual bath, and walking along a precise route. But not everyone agrees with Duker. Others are simply not willing to rely on the assumption that the Dome of the Rock is the site of the Holy and Holies. They believe you shouldn't walk around at all in the vicinity for fear of accidental trespass. This is the position of the chief rabbinate, most Haredi rabbis, and many religious Zionist rabbis. Former Ashkenazi chief rabbi, Shlomo Goren, permitted ascension to the Temple Mount. He himself blew the shofar when Israel captured the old city in 1967, and he later wrote a halachic analysis called Har Habayit, explaining the matter in depth. Today, the most well-known proponent of allowing prayer on the Temple Mount is former Knesset member Yehuda Glick, who survived an assassination attempt in 2014 after speaking on this very topic. Glick has stated, I will do all that is in my power to end the injustice that takes place every day at the holiest place in the world, where police officers are under orders to check whether a 90-year-old Jew is, God forbid, moving his lips or not. And for many Jews who don't actually identify as religious, the Temple Mount still remains significant as the secular Moshe Dayan announced to Israeli newspapers on July 8, 1967, we have returned to our holiest site, never to part with it again. What do Palestinians think about the Jewish presence on the Temple Mount? Ali Awar, a researcher at the Hebrew University who has advised the Palestinian Authority on issues related to Jerusalem, recently told the Religion News Service, Palestinian people will never accept a foreign presence on the Al-Aqsa compound. It is not only a religious site, it is the sum of all of our national and religious aspirations. Awar added that the Palestinians have already compromised enough, noting that Jews pray at the Western Wall. In addition to this legal debate on whether Jews should be allowed to visit the Temple Mount, another ongoing issue relates to the Jewish people's historical connection to the site, which frankly should not really be a debate. Last year, Shana Hirsch, a resident of Jerusalem, was visiting the Temple Mount. She was recounting the history of the temple, or temples, in a Facebook Live video. As she was still recording, a Waqf security guard informed Hirsch that it is illegal to say a temple stood on the Temple Mount. 
He told her to stop spreading disrespectful Zionist lies, that there was ever anything there other than a mosque. Hirsch, who studied the Second Temple era at Hebrew University, insisted to the guard that there were, in fact, temples there. She was ultimately detained by the Waqf. Later, reflecting on this experience in a Times of Israel blog post, Hirsch underscored the need for Israelis and Palestinians to recognize one another's past. She wrote, How can we talk about a shared future with partners who can't acknowledge we have a history? I am frustrated by how repeating, archaeologically proven history can become politically charged, and how easy it is to rewrite. So learn the history. Have the facts. Know the truth. So what's the bottom line? I think Shana Hirsch said it exactly correctly. Ultimately, Jews need to respect Muslim history, and Jews should expect Muslims to respect Jewish history. We can't negate the other. The best way to achieve peace is to acknowledge our histories, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Erasing history from any side is no way to cultivate a peaceful future. Thanks for listening. This Week Unpacked is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. If you're listening to this, go subscribe. And while you're at it, check out Unpacked's latest podcast, The Power Of. Currently number two on Apple Podcasts in the Judaism category, where Noam Weissman, producer of this podcast, speaks to 10 amazing guests about different important ideas in the world and how Judaism impacts them. This week, Empathy with Kylie O'Neill. She's incredible, and the episode is awesome. And of course, last but not least, send us an email. We want to talk. Podcasts at jewishunpack.com. Research and writing for this episode was led by Sarah Himmelis, and the team includes John Kunza, Avi Posen, and Rob Perra. Noam Weissman is the executive producer of This Week Unpacked, and I'm your host, Rifki Stern. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.